Call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. recap show i'm nor pinciati week seven if you can believe that sunday is in the books and as always i'm here with benjamin solak and steven ruiz steven how was your football sunday today it was bad this week <laughs> this week lived up to the hype it was like every, everyone Way feared it was gonna be a, the people i mean they know what they saw i'm not gonna lie to the people steven we all know slacked. what we saw me and Ben earlier this afternoon and said this week lived up to the hype and then in parentheses derogatory. <laughs> I enjoyed this week. I was I like it was a good week of football. I had a good time. And the Eagles were in play. You won your bets. Like, you won your bets. Is that why? I mean, that's every week. Watch your mouth. Um, but yeah, no, I like I was a good week. I I, uh, I watched uh, Lions Cowboys. It was my local game here in Michigan. That was a fun one. Uh, Seahawks Chargers was a good time. I'm loving the Seahawks hype. Niners. Uh, Chiefs about to talk about was a lot of fun. That was a great week. It's just mine and Steven's differing perspectives on the world. <laughs> it's like the 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 um the dueling personality is on on either shoulder. It's really good to it's good energy for the pod. Uh, Ben, with the Eagles on a bye, were there any teams that you felt like you were able to sort of catch up with this week? Not really, because like most of my day Monday is just kind of catching up with the games. All of them that I, that I missed. No film left to grind. No, yeah, he's he's seen them all. He's seen, no, but there's certainly a an experience of watching a team live versus watching them on film. We watch them on film, and you're like, the Texans are abysmal. And then like we watch them live, and you're like, all right, Davis Mills, we got something cooking here. And then they like lose by 18, obviously. But you kind of feel it a little more in the moment. Certainly, that the film is a little bit too clinical, too surgical. Watching football live is just letting your emotions trick you over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. It actually explains explains a lot about how opinions are formed. Um, speaking of watching football live, uh, I presume all of us saw a good bit of the Chiefs beating the 49ers 44 to 23. That's going to be the subject of our headline this week. Uh, ben, what did you feel like you learned from this one? I think that, as Steven said on the Friday show, that we might get in this game a blueprint from D'Amico Ryan's defensively on how to handle the Chiefs offense. And even if D'Amico didn't have all the talent that was available to him, he would still kind of lay out the pieces. We really like D'Amico's a really good defensive coordinator. He could kind of give a bit of a script as to a way you could handle this offense. I think the exact opposite thing happened. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> where the, the they Chiefs, got everybody back. <laughs> right. The Chiefs laid a blueprint for beating this defense. I, I like. Andy just reached back into like the classic mid 2010s yeah. bag of like, are you facing a really good four down rush? Do you not want to deal with pressure from interior, like, like you know, penetration players? Here's a screen. Here's a jet sweep. Here's like, you know, a third and one under center play action pass to the flat. Like they just spammed like everything that Andy's seen over three decades in the league of like, hey, yep. if you just want Nick Bosa's life to suck. And they kept cutting to Bosa <laughs> after these touchdown drives. And he's just walking back to the sideline like, I just want to hit him. They're not blocking me, but they keep getting rid of it. And it's going to the flats. And I don't know what to do. Like the Chiefs were just 
they had the opening drive interception. They had the end of first half drive in which they were they had to attempt a field goal because they had a touchdown get called back. Every other drive was a touchdown drive. It was as effortless as offense has looked for the Chiefs, and the Chiefs were the best offense in the league by like EPA per dropback coming in this week. There was a great like I had people told me the Chiefs' offense was bad moment by like a lot of people after the game. Did it's like they. they- yeah, there, there's people just tell classic. you that. Yeah, this is a very classic. Like, oh, I thought the Chiefs were regressing. Like, no, nobody said this, but whatever. Uh, this was it was as effortless as you can imagine against a really, really good defense. They did such a good job neutralizing that front, and then that let them get their athletes into space one on one with the Niners. The Niners missed some tackles, forty four points. That's why I'm like a little hesitant to be like the Chiefs are back, uh, like because we haven't seen this scoring output, even though they're like number one in EPA and like efficiency metrics. But this is like a classic four-two-five nickel defense that they were seeing in 2015. And like Ben said, they just spammed all the old tricks. I don't think this is like a game that we could take a lot from going forward. I don't know if this is this means like the Chiefs are because they had the downfield element this week. And that was new compared to the last like month or so. So even after seeing them in, I mean, obviously they lost to the Bills, but that felt like a coin flip game in a lot of ways. Mm. This 49ers defense has been among the best in the league. Obviously, they were they were really banged up for a few weeks and got a bunch of those guys back today. You don't feel like you can take any take much away on the Chiefs side from having those two games. I I certainly do. I think they've been really impressive. No, yeah, they definitely have. And I think they're going to be a top five offense all year. I, I don't know if it's going to look like this every week. It's not going to be like MVS having a huge game. I think that was the big difference between this week and the weeks we've seen over the last month. Sure. Which have still been good. It's still been good. So on the on the 49ers side, then they got Nick Bosa, Jimmy Ward, Traverius Ward, Kufanga, McGlinchey, all of those major pieces back in this lineup. Now we don't, you know, obviously knowing what we know about Jimmy Garoppolo, we don't look at the 49ers and go, oh. You should beat the Chiefs, definitely. But the way that this got away from them, I think, if anything, was a little bit of an underperformance, particularly for the 49ers defense getting all of those pieces back. Did you feel the same way? And what do you think allowed the Chiefs, other than them sort of knowing how to deal with how aggressive upfield this defensive front wants to be, unless that's just sort of the whole conversation? What do you feel like the takeaway is for the 49ers defense? Stephen, you can take that. Uh, there's such a defense that relies on teamwork and synergy that I, I think the missed time and the missed practice reps probably matter, especially against an offense. It, it seems like it's a bad matchup for them in hindsight. And they were clicking on, and when the chiefs offense is clicking, it's hard to stop, especially when you've right. missed reps. Yeah. Yeah. I would say also, uh, while the Niners did get healthier overall, no Emmanuel Mosley in this game and losing Diamondor Lenore, their nickel corner during this game, right? Like a big note that we've seen in defenses facing the Chiefs so far this season is we're not really scared of Juju and MBS. Like you used to have like a wide receiver yeah. who scared us. That was Tyreek Hill. Now you have Travis Kelsey, he's a tight end. We kind of know how we want to deal with him. And we feel like if, if you beat us with Juju and MBS and you beat us with Juju and MBS. Well, the Niners were already not super great in terms of their position to play that way, just because corners always been thin for them. But when they had yeah. Mosley Ward and Lenore this year, they were playing quite well in press man coverage. They, they want a man up on third downs and, and they were doing a pretty good job. 
Uh, Ward comes into the game Gimpy, no Mosley on the torn ACL from last week, and then Lenore leaves during the game. MVS 111 receiving yards, Juju Smith-Juster 124, right? If the Chiefs right. could have been generating all this production from their new top two receivers in the passing game, all year they would have. Uh, right. They yeah. were able to do this against the Niners because their, their receivers were capable of beating the backups that the Niners had in. That plus the, you know, Miko Harmon's going to score three touchdowns, two of them on Jet Sweeps games. Like, they were so efficient in the red zone, too. Uh, and, and that's where this... Like Steven said, kind of base four two five nickel defense, really good between the twenties, and then you kind of go to just like match up and win with penetration inside the twenty. And the Chiefs just have a gadget play, and they have a specific call for every single time they get down there. Like the Justin Watson touchdown was a wrinkle off of the the third and one Travis Kelsey conversion. You know, there's like layers and layers and layers, and you're just trying to be like simple and faster and better than everybody. And against the Chiefs, with how much Andy throws at you, that's just like really hard to do. And I, I think the fact that Hardman had such success on those plays is just just shows how bad of a matchup this was for this defense, because like a four down defense typically wants to push run plays inside, whereas like the new meta in the NFL is like clogging up gaps on the inside, pushing things outside. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs were able to get that. And the 49ers didn't really have help out there. What do you think is the so what's the antithesis of that? What's like what's the good offense that the 49ers defense would love to play? McVay. Okay. The, yeah, because one of the things that the Chiefs offense does really well is like the Chiefs obviously can run crossers and do run crossers with success, but a lot of like the stuff they run with Kelsey when he's aligned to the inside is outbreaking stuff. A lot of the, the the crosses they run are underneath and they can run their their outside vertical stuff to Mahomes. And they're also able to disrupt flow so much. Like they're running these sprint outs and they're, they're throwing fast into the boundary, yeah. getting outside the numbers. And then they run the sprint outs and then they throw backside because Mahomes can do that and nobody else can, yada, 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 whatever. What they don't really do is just like spam the intermediate middle. Sometimes they do if, if they have it, if they want it, but they, they don't need to live on that. The McVay uh, menu of offenses generally does. And if you want to take that away, you play quarters. Uh, and that's what this defense is based on. This is base sure. course defense. The Mahomes interception on the opening drive, I'm 98% sure, given the film that we have, is a quarter's look. Steven's laughing at me. Is it? Oh, I don't know. It's the, based okay. on that number. What yeah. was the uh, percentage based on? I, I, I'm fairly confident it's a quarter's look, but that's an in-breaking route from Sky Moore. That safety comes down off the roof. Are they going to collision the catch point or beat the receiver to the catch point? Take that off. So that 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 route is like a McVay staple, and that coverage is kind of how you beat it. The other thing is you have Fred Warner. Nobody else can do this and take away the McVay defense because nobody else has Fred, right? And the Chiefs did a good job not trying to deal with Fred. Not like beating Fred. They were just like, we're just not going to We're going to put you over this. here. Yeah, we're going to run everything outbreaking from the inside. And we're not going to kind of run to this this area of the field you police. And then they pull guys a lot in the running game. And they they say to Fred Warner, you're 6'3", 230. You're not really built to take guy like, you know, Joe Tooney on a pole. We're going to try to play you really physical like that. And they found success doing so. When you said McVeigh, at first I heard Green Bay. And I, I was a little thrown yeah. for a loop. You know that who else is really sense. good at stopping the Green Bay offense? <laughs> Everybody they play on Sundays. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Sky Moore, Ben. Um, do they need to find a, a a different solution at punt return here? Because second fumbled return of the season today. Is this something that just needs more reps? He obviously didn't do it a lot in college. Or do you think that this is sort of this? This cannot go on this way. I think the idea of getting Sky Moore, who, like you said, didn't return punts in college, 
reps returning punts such that like maybe he could do that at a high level when you got to the playoffs was nice. Now that he lost you the helped lose you the Chiefs game and also contributed to some of the very few points that the Niners scored in this game, which like they scored 22, but the Chiefs defense really kind of sat on the Niners on like real drives. They had the turnover and the Holmes interception, and then they had the, the Sky Moore turnover. Uh yeah, I would also start to say to Miko, like, hey, maybe, you know, we're gonna we're gonna on the big games, the important games, it's Miko time. And we'll let Sky would that keep fielding be okay them. with you yeah. if well, we'll let Sky keep fielding them when we get like, you know, some bad team like why, the Buccaneers or the Packers. I, I don't get why they use him in that situation where you're like backed up because that's when you're not even going to get a return. So there's no like big play potential. It's like fair catch or let the ball bounce into the end zone. Teams should have fair catch specialists. Guys are just really good at judging <laughs> yeah. where the ball roughly like, all right. It's end over end. I'm at the 12 and a half, 68% chance to bounce in the end zone. I'm letting it bounce. We need guys like that. But Real I don't think gritty that's possible ball because judgers. The, the bounce of a, like you could get like a center fielder, but the bounce of a football is completely random. And that's, but that's when they like play with the spin is when they're trying to get it to check up. Mm-hmm. So it makes it even harder in that situation to catch a football. Footballs are weird, man. Yeah. Weird, weirdly shaped object. <laughs> yeah. Causes a lot of problems. The Skymore thing for me is just like the Chiefs are so good and everything is so good and Andy's so good and Mahomes is so good and the Lions so good, whatever, that they just are allowed to do stupid things that teams shouldn't do. Like the running back rotation is officially in just like, I'm irate, but how am I supposed to complain? You just scored 44 points mode. But like, it's just like there are two not very good backs and Isaiah Pacheco. This shouldn't be hard. <laughs> which, to which one do you give the ball to? But continue to be like, it's Jarek McKinnon time on this screen. And like McKinnon goes for 34 yards. Like, okay, great, whatever. Congrats to Joe Tooney. It's just such, like that thing, like the Sky Moore thing. Like they don't have to actually care about personnel because the margins are just so wide because the, the, the pillars also, are so good. This game doesn't count for the run game. None of the stats should count. <laughs> okay, pitch me on it. Because of the front they were facing. Like... Their uh, outside zone run play from the gun worked for the first time in like four years. It hasn't worked since 2018, and it worked. Yeah. The, the Niners' interior was really rough in this game. They're good pass rush wise, but like uh, no Armstead, no Hurst to kind of no Kinlaw. Like the usual influence that in the running game from the interior right. wasn't there. So, do you think that that is solely because they're still missing those guys who are are they're banged up, they're out of the lineup, but those aren't season-ending injuries? They'll have those guys back at some point, or do you think that? we're seeing something that maybe tells us that when this defense came out so hot and looked like it could be, you know, best defense in the league type of, of thing, was that a little bit of an overreaction or is it just the personnel? I would say say both. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I I would say like, firstly and foremost, like uh, Pacheco and Edwards were 14 carries for 75 yards, which is a good day, but not like an incredible day. Meikle kind of jacks the running game stats like EPA and efficiency up because he had two carries for 28 yards and two touchdowns. But like traditional handoffs to the backs, the Chiefs had like a good day running football, certainly better than the Chiefs usually do. But I wouldn't say it was like saying like, you know, Josh Jacobs, 140 yards, three touchdowns against the Texans sort of stuff. So I think first it's like it's not like it was like an insane running day on the Niners defense. Secondly, yeah, like the Niners are just going to inherently play from light boxes because they're four to five and they have two safeties deep. And like instead of being like other light box teams, 
that say, okay, we're going to be like box, but we're going to have like a really big dude here in the middle is going to steal two gaps and we're trying to make the numbers work. They just say, we're going to have so much penetration, so much team speed, so much up front. We're going to have so many disruptors that you're not going to be able to block this up well. There's a, a compounding effect when it's like, okay, we have no Armstead. Man, it sucks. Armstead's a really good run defender from like a penetration style. It's what he does really well. It's what his calling card is. But it's okay. We got Kinlaw. It's still Kinlaw. Okay, okay. So now we got to put Hassan Ridgeway out there and Kevin Givens out there. And it's just like, there's a there's a compounding effect where like, not only do those guys create less issues, it's now easier to get to Fred Warner. It's easier to get to Dre Greenlaw, who got banged up in this game. And you kind of just, the, the snowball rolls. So I'm not overly concerned. I still think the Snyder's defense is insanely good. The, the speed and aggressiveness and physicality with that they play is going to translate against a lot of teams because a lot of teams don't have Andy plus Miko speed plus MBS speed plus Mahomes judgment and so on and so forth. Like Chiefs are really good. They're they're going to need the defense to be able to keep them in, in games because for all the help of getting the tackles back in there, that offensive line against the Chiefs pass rush was having a rough time. And, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy. I don't, I don't, I don't know what there is to say about Jimmy Garoppolo doing Jimmy Garoppolo stuff that we haven't already said on like 50 different pods. They obviously got Christian McCaffrey in there. He looked pretty good, but this offense still wasn't really able to move the ball. Is there anything? I I feel like we spin our wheels with this offense because we just sort of know what it is. Anything that stood out that was different than before, other than obviously the addition of, of McCaffrey. McCaffrey's going to help. Like they, yeah. they, they absolutely will. Like they're running, you know, like, you know, motion across the backfield and McCaffrey's in like, they're in the pistol and McCaffrey's out of the backfield. And like, it's a small menu, but it's clearly going to work. Um, McCaffrey looks good running the ball the same way. Jeff Wilson looks good running the ball. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, McCaffrey's going to make the running game 10 times better. Cause we know that's not true about the Niners, right. but when he's back there, the fact that he can run the ball as well as Jeff Wilson can. And then also represents a really, really big receiving threat out of the backfield. It makes it really hard on defenses. It's a lot of the, the pre-snap personnel tipping of the hands, all the different tentacles of this offense you have to prepare for. That's where McCaffrey really matters, as opposed to like, good run on toss. Like, I, that's, you know, like he's going to look good on that because he's, he's a good player, whatever. If there's anything that deserves to be said about Jimmy, because like, I think that we all kind of like we... We have a blanket line on Jimmy. Like this, Jimmy's a play action quarterback. He's got to be open for him, throw over the middle. He's kind of, you know, blind to anything but what he's looking at. It's the fact that he took five sacks. There is that, like, this line didn't play well, but quarterbacks are supposed to be able to move. Like, this, this, the, the, the safety was an unbelievable play. Frank Clark beats Trent Williams off the snap. Jimmy feels the pressure, hustles to his right two steps. And then just stops because in his it, head, he's done. Like, has, I don't and like, does it doesn't like go to it's like, no, you know what it's football. like? It's, it's, it's like, I know exactly it, what Steven is about to say. Go ahead. It's like at a grocery store, the shop sh- shopping carts that like shut down when you go outside the perimeter of the store. <laughs> There's like a lock <laughs> on the wheels. The okay, that is yeah. not what I thought you were going to say, I, but that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to get in my mind. Uh, but uh, that might've been worse than the, uh, the Orlovsky. The other week, I think this one was worse. The Orlovsky, oh, you mean Jimmy's Orlovsky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this, this, <laughs> this, the reason why it was so bad is because it reveals how computerized Jimmy's brain is. Because he starts to move outside of the pocket, and as he moves, sees another free Chiefs rusher, and in that moment, there's like a new primary threat. 
So Frank Clark right. just vanishes. Frank Clark's not real anymore, okay? There's no way to hold two ideas in your mind at once. No, he's, got he's only one got the process. one. So the second, I think it's Carlathis. It might have been uh, uh, Leo Chanel who shows up there in front of Jimmy. Jimmy's like, oh, cool. Frank Clark's no longer pressuring me. He's not real. It's just this guy <laughs> I have to deal with now. Yeah. So I don't, I, I can't, I thought I had the numbers in front of me and I don't. I want to say they had a total of like 13 pressure dropbacks or something like that on, on Jimmy. And he, got, he took a sack on five of them. Threw a pick on another. Like it, the, there's so much about like, oh, like Lance adding to the running game. Lance throwing deep down the field. It's also the ability to take a pressure, which is going to happen. You could have the best line in the league. They're going to give up pressure sometimes and turn it into anything above a catastrophe. That's <laughs> critical for, for every offense in the NFL. And like, yeah, Jimmy threw a pick on, or he threw a touchdown under pressure in this game. It was the Ray Ray McLeod touchdown, which like, the ball was dead. It was such a bad throw. It's just, he cannot save a play that isn't picture perfect. And that deserves to be re-emphasized because it reminds us why the Niners have made the moves that they've made so aggressively over the last few offseasons. That pass did not go where he meant it to go. The Ray Ray touchdown? Yeah. yeah. He wanted it to go over the <laughs> defender. It went yeah. so far behind the defender that Ray Ray was able to catch it. Nuance is not Jimmy's skill set. Um, all right. Anything we're missing about this game before we go? Uh, I, I, I will say, and you know, Jimmy jokes aside, a big shout out to the Chiefs defense that did lock things down a little bit. It looked like this was going to get into shootout territory. It certainly could have, like even in the second half, the Niners were driving. They're able to to settle down and get ahead of the sticks in the red zone a little bit. But also, like they play their man coverage, and then they kind of know that Jalen Watson's going to get beaten by George Kittle every so often. But they play physical, they play up Atlanta scrimmage, they, they play a lot of press and a lot of, of downfield contact without drawing a lot of flags, which is tough to do as an indication of being well-coached. And then I really like their safeties. Uh, their safeties cause, solve a lot of problems mm -hmm. for them. Thornhill, Reed, and Cook is a good group. I uh, got Willie Gay back in this game as well, which helped them between the tackles with, with some of their run stuff. This is like, there's going to be like four games every season for Spags where he just like gives up 40 because he's just like trying way too much. <laughs> but they're like the bones of this defense could remain good. And it's like, all right, if they just get hot in the playoffs. This chief, the chiefs are a total juggernaut. They tackle so much better than last year. That was their main problem. So that's a, it's a big, uh, Tyron Matthew to Justin Reed tone change yes. sort of a thing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Like guy who leads the defense is picking in his tackles versus Justin Reed will hit anybody. And that just kind of, you know, like, Setting the tone, leadership, like that can all get over overhyped a little bit, but that like the the visuals of that matter to a group. All right, we're gonna move to winners and losers. Um, Ben, thank you as always for joining us. Before we let you go, uh, there's a whiteboard behind you. Often it gets gets written up with something Eagles related. Eagles are off this week. I'm seeing I'm seeing written up there. The Seattle mm -hmm. Seahawks are hosting. A playoff this a, yeah, game. This is a Stephen Ruiz take that I'm I'm, I'm willing to co-opt and put on my whiteboard. Uh, the NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks. The yeah. multi-score win against the Los Angeles Chargers Seattle Seahawks. The We beat the Cardinals. Have they beat the Rams yet? Are they 2-1 in the division or just 1-1? 1-1 one one? One one in the uh, division. 1-1. One one. That's, one one. that's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with every passing week. A little Gino. A little Kenny Walker. Oh, Marquis Goodwin. No, oh, well, what's the UTSA course? Tyler Tariq Lockett. Woolen. Yeah, I'm in there. I love it. Okay, so it's Seahawks and then our 49ers 
next best in the division for you? I think the, I think the 49ers are plainly a better team than the Seahawks. But the way this season's <laughs> going, the good teams don't win football games this year. I don't know if we've caught up with that, but the Giants are six and one. They've never led in a fourth quarter ever. The Jaguars are 0 and five in one score games. They're two and five. This is an unbelievable season. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous sport. All right. Thanks, Ben. Bye, Ben. End the NFL week right on Monday night with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And one of my favorite things about FanDuel is picking my favorite props and building the same game parlay. It's perfect for tonight's game between the Bears and the Pats. In tonight's game, I like Justin Fields under 160 passing yards. I like Mac Jones under 213 passing yards. And I'll take the Bears plus eight and a half points. And with FanDuel's new live same game parlays, you can continue building SGPs even after the game has started. There's no feeling like nailing a same game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. New to FanDuel Sportsbook, get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 with promo code RINGERNFL. That's promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Okay, winners and losers time. Steven, hit me with your first winner of the day. My first winner is the division-leading Seattle Seahawks, a sentence we all thought we'd <laughs> we be saying. Have kept Ben here. In October, yeah. Ben says they're going to uh, host a playoff game. I had that take earlier in the week. I'm feeling it. I, like, okay, they're ahead of the division by like one game. It's October. Let's just start, stop doing simple arithmetic here. I agree. I agree that like usually this would feel like a fake team. Like it's a backup quarterback. But when you watch them play, and I say this every week, like Gino looks like a real quarterback. This doesn't look fake. And you look at like the underlying numbers, usually when like a, a backup quarterback comes in and, and has this success, they're doing something schematically to make his job easier. But like Gino's playing like big boy quarterbacking. It's not like a college system. It's not like a play action heavy system. He's going through like real dropbacks and he's making tight window throws downfield. So they beat the Chargers 37 to 23, 37 points on, on a bad defense, a defense that's banged up. They lose JC Jackson, looked like a bad injury, probably out for the year. They obviously don't have Joey Bosa right now. They're playing like nobody's at receiver. Like a guy named Jason Moore got onto the field at one point. Uh, they have like a Ben Skoranek type archetype of receiver playing. I didn't even catch his name. Mike Williams goes out <laughs> to ben an ankle Skoranek injury. Ben type. Yeah this, is, yeah. this is the darkest timeline. <laughs> like if they did a casting call, they would be like, we need a Ben Skoranek type. And this, this guy would be perfect. So everything is going wrong for this Chargers team. But at on the other side of the spectrum, everything is going right for the Seahawks. Everything's going right for Pete Carroll. Like every swing they took this offseason has worked out. 
been a home run. I don't even think they thought Gino would be this, but he's become like a top 10 quarterback with his play, not even just stats wise. Kenneth Walker, a day two pick that people complained about because it was a running back. It's a value pick. He looks like a stud. 168 yards, two yeah. touchdowns. It was his third straight big game. Marquis Goodwin is making plays. They did lose DK Metcalf. He, he got carted off, ruled out quickly with a knee injury. But the offense like didn't miss a beat without him. This is just a good team right now. And we've seen the defensive turnaround over the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I'm not, my criticism of uh, penciling them in to host a playoff game is actually not at all that they seem like a fake team. I actually I agree with you. They're a pretty legit team, particularly Walker had 92 of those yards on rushes against eight or more in the box. That's an 11.5 yard per carry average in those situations. If he can take pressure off Geno in the passing game by keeping doing that, and if the defenses that they face are going to keep doing that, and especially like the Chargers are so snake bitten about defending the run that I think they sort of overloaded against it. But that's really, really legit. And it seems like that defense that was really struggling earlier in the year has kind of solidified themselves. I'm just saying that they're ahead in the division by, is it one game or two? Now it's one game. It's one, one, one. We can't start being like, oh, they're, they're leading the division. It's October. I'm not saying that they're, be- they're the better team, but at a certain point, it's one game. It's one through, game in the standing. Through Gino, all things are possible. Through Gino, all things um, are possible. It's not too early. What's up with the Live Chargers, a little. Steve? I, I, I know this is your Seahawks take, but come on. What's, what's it's, like... <laughs> This was supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. It can't just it's, be injuries. I mean, it's not just injuries. It's there's like a schematic problem on offense that makes it hard. It makes it harder to run this scheme that it puts so much on the quarterback's plate. And if you don't have like receivers that can get open, and even before the Mike Williams injury, they didn't have Keenan Allen. They haven't had him since week one. They haven't had that guy that can rely on third down, fourth down to get open against man coverage. Mike Williams, as good as he is, he's still like a 50-50 ball winner. A, a high uh, variance player. You throw it downfield to him. You you hope he catches a jump ball, you, but you don't have that reliable target. And until Keenan Allen gets back, I don't think the offense is going to work at all. And then now we're seeing injuries pile up on defense. I, I think like the, the philosophy of Brandon Saley's defense is still good. He just doesn't have the horses to run it. Like they can't tackle. And when you run this like bend, but don't break defense, if you're giving up three yard runs, that's fine. But when those three-yard runs right. turn six-yard runs, that just makes everything else harder for turn defense. Turn into 11-yard runs. Yeah, and that happens way too often for the Chargers. So it's just like not a viable approach when you're not tackling well. And when you're giving up deep plays through coverage busts, like J.C. Jackson before the injury was just, he had some mental errors throughout the season. It's just tough. There's like so many issues, and it's a lot of like chargering. But on top of that, there's these this underlying rot to the roster and the offense and the approach. Yuck. All right. My first winner, the Baltimore Ravens. Steven, uh, can I give you some advanced analytics? Let's do it. The Ravens are eight and two in games immediately following a Taylor Swift album release. Did you know that? I did not know that. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? that uh, Somebody tweeted at me. Somebody tweeted it at me today. I didn't even fact check it. I'm just going to hope it's true. (laughs) Uh, So the, the Ravens, Finally won a game uh, that they didn't blow in the fourth quarter. I can't say that this Ravens win is uh, predicated on an awesome Lamar game. He had 120 passing yards. It was the sixth fewest of his career. 
Um, I do, however, think that this team had a huge monkey on their back with the fourth quarter meltdowns. And it seemed like it was starting to happen. The Browns go 75 yards in, in two and a half minutes. Cream Hunt scores on this way too easy two-yard touchdown. Their leads cut down to 23-20. There's nine minutes left, but they hold the Browns off. Lee Harrison blocks the potential game-tying field goal, and then Geno Stone forces a fumble. They get the impact plays, and they get the stop so that they can hold on, get to four and three, stay atop the AFC North. They are still having issues with the offense. They're still having issues against the blitz on offense, but I want to give them credit because up to this point, this was a team that was statistically outperforming their record and fixing it in the record column does matter when you've had Mm -hmm. these just like not even fourth quarter meltdowns, but meltdowns in the last 30 seconds of a game, two minutes of a game. It just was such a relief to see the Ravens not have that happen again. Yeah, because when the season ends, the Ravens don't get to go back and be like, yeah, but our DVOA was better. So we get two extra wins and make the playoffs now. Like you need to win these games. So only we get to do that. Yeah, that's right. For those underlying metrics to matter. So and this like was a problem going back to last year. Obviously, they've blown double digit leads, but they had a problem closing out games late last year after Lamar's injury. They still were losing one possession game like week after week after week. It uh, bled over into this season. So to win this game, I, I do think it's like a good morale booster. But man, that passing offense, it's just it, it feels like we've been having these same conversations about this team and about the offense for the last two years since Lamar's MVP year. And like the problems don't change. It's still like, oh, does Greg Roman have a good enough passing game? Are the receivers good enough? Is the offensive line good enough? And the answer just seemed, when, when we're asking those questions week after week, that suggests the answer is no. Right. Because it's been two and a half years. And Ronnie Stanley was, was talking after the game about, oh, we're finding our identity. We're going to be this ground and pound offense. And that really helps us, you know, figure out who we are and, and be who we are. And I just was like, I feel like I've heard this before. I just feel like we've been here before, but still they got to win. And given how the last few weeks have gone, I think that is that, that does matter. You got a loser for me. I do have a loser. I have multiple losers, actually. Just old people in general. <laughs> Just older oh, people. No, no, no. Old, the old, the sorry, old, Grandma. Yeah, sorry. It's rough out here. No, the old guard of quarterbacks. Okay, yeah. We have like two left over from the, the past generation. Like Ben retired. Breeze retired. Obviously, Manning retired a long time ago. But Brady and Rodgers were the ones that were still getting it done. Like Rodgers had two straight MVPs. Brady's throwing for 5,000 yards and he's like throwing passes he never threw in New England. But now you look at their stats and they're starting to look like older quarterbacks. And here's my takeaway after watching both of these two play. I feel like the narrative, just the one that makes the most sense if you're not paying close attention is that the 45-year-old quarterback is just losing it. And then the guy that just lost his star receiver in Devontae Adams probably just doesn't have enough help and that's why there are problems. I would flip that. I think Brady is the one that needs more help and he's still playing at a high level. He's still making like tough throws outside the numbers. He he threw a couple passes up the seam that were like throwback passes that you're used to seeing him throw to Gronk. But they can't run the ball. 
And it seems like they have this like psychosomatic problem where they can't run. And even though like the play action game is working, the fact that they can't run stops them from calling play action more. Like if you look at like the, the sure. numbers, the play by play numbers, still the same level of production. But the 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 rate of them calling those plays is way down. It's down of 16%, which is a very like a league low number almost. So I, I think Byron Leftwich just has to get over this, this, this problem with not calling play action when the run game's not working. And I think that would at least help Brady in the passing game. I don't think it's going to solve all their issues, but I think it would at least like boost the passing efficiency. And with the with the Packers, like I don't know the answer after today. Like part of it, the problem yeah. is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is missing throws that he made with ease last year. And that's the biggest difference between this year and last year, even more so than I think Devontae Adams not being there. Yeah, I mean, with the Packers, the running backs had 12 carries today. I think there's a disconnect between, look, the quarterback is really, really empowered in yep. adjusting plays, calling plays, deciding how they function on offense. I think that's a big part of why those guys aren't featured more. But the running backs are are the best thing that, that offense has to offer right now. And I don't really see them treating them that way. I think they would probably be better if they leaned on those guys a little bit more. It doesn't seem like they're going in that direction. And that's the part that's scary to me because that says that there's, whether there's a disconnect between coach and quarterback, coach quarterback are in sync, but the front office has not been operating in in a way that's in line with what they want to do. If it's, the coach and the the front office are more aligned, but the quarterback is sort of going rogue. And I, I don't know what it is, but the philosophy is not in sync there because you're not seeing them lean on the players who are are the most explosive, the most exciting, the the best that they've got right now. With the Bucks, I mean, you you mentioned Byron Leftwich. I also do think that it's sort of time to acknowledge that we're seeing, you know, I, I like Todd Bowles as a coach quite a bit. I think he deserves a lot of credit just for how his career has played out. And and he's usually been in situations where it seems like he has been a value add for a very long time. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He is a defensive coach. And we Mm -hmm. often see those guys get into a top job and behave very conservatively. And he is the head coach of this team in his first year in that job. And they've been very conservative in a lot of ways. There's been some of the, the, decision-making with go kick stuff, but also what you're talking about with not feeling like you can use the play action unless you're like some of that stuff, those old school ways of thinking about football seem very, very, very present with this team. I don't think that Brady should be able to get totally off the hook. It's so true that once in a while he will, and not even once in a while, a few times a game, he will unleash a throw where it's like, maybe five guys in the NFL can do that. And he apparently is still one of them. And he didn't have a lot of, you know, guys were dropping passes all over the place. Mike Evans dropped what, like a 63 yard would have been touchdown or whatever. So there, there was some stuff that was not helping him. We've talked about the offensive line, but I do think that he looks like he doesn't want to get hit. I think we've talked about this. It's not so much that he physically doesn't seem to be able to do things that he used to be able to do. It just seems like he's not all the way in on the field and, and, you know, committed to hanging in the pocket, taking a hit. And those, those pockets are collapsing quickly. 
these days. So I, I do think there's a way where Brady's showing his age, but you're right. It's a little bit less dire than the way that it seems like Rogers has, has really fallen off. Yeah. And they're not like clearing out the windows that he was attacking over his first two years where he's throwing a lot of like deep in routes and like uh, crossing routes. They don't, they're not hitting on those anymore. And those are usually like paired sure. with play action fakes because they draw the defense up. And I think that's the one thing this offense is missing right now. And I do think that's where Brady's age might show up a little bit is when he has to drive the ball. And you saw in this game, he threw a couple in the dirt. But if if those were like chest level for the receiver, they might have been picked off because the Panthers were just sitting right. on those routes. They're floppy. Yeah. So I, like it's a little bit of everything, but I would put more of the buck struggle on the supporting cast and the play calling. But the Packers, I think it's a there's a lot more to that. And then we saw like the disconnect between LaFleur and Rodgers when Rodgers says during the week, we need to simplify the offense. And then LaFleur's response is, I don't know what that means. And I'm like kind right. of with him. Like, what does that mean? Can you explain that? Because like, also, his, I feel like it's just Rodgers. Rogers. Right. Like you're not Zach Wilson. This is a right. bad sign. You're like almost 40. You're a two-time defending MVP. We do not need to simplify the offense. That should not be the answer. But it, apparently that's just like do more Aaron Rodgers stuff, like do more stuff that he likes. It I, seemed I, like I they were in gun more. tweeting the young receivers being like, you don't understand what to do. Yeah, yeah, probably is. Even today, I don't think they were running as many option routes, but like the throws were just off. Like Romeo Dobbs had two chances to make clutch catches and maybe he should have caught the passes, but they were tough passes to catch because Aaron Rodgers like threw him at the ground. Or he threw him into a, a hit by a cornerback. Like, you could blame that on the receiver, but that's not good quarterbacking. But you could also blame it on the quarterback. Yeah. Um, Bulls said the Bucks were in a dark place. Aaron Rodgers said everything's fine. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but he said something in his postgame presser where he was like, this might have been the best thing that ever happened to us. I'm not sure it was. No. All right. Ne- next, next old man quarterbacking L goes to Matt Ryan because we talked last week about how it seemed like the Colts were sort of trying their luck as a pass first offense. And I know I I think we talked about this. I said I wanted to see it again. Uh, Well, we saw it again. He attempted 44 passes today. It did not go well. He threw two picks to the Titans, who I think just sort of decided, hey, let's pay some attention to Michael Pittman. And then Matt Ryan's going to try to make Paris Campbell the number one receiver. And it didn't go great, which I honestly don't think is that surprising given how the team sort of has been built. I don't think that this Colts team is is built to win like that. And somehow it worked, which was sort of encouraging, particularly because being super pass heavy might have helped their offensive line issues. But uh, that really came crashing down to earth this week. And I do give the Titans some credit because I think. I wrote them off a little bit too much early in the season, particularly when Derrick Henry was really not looking like his old self. That's still kind of true in terms of explosives, but he's a productive runner for them. And because their offense depends so heavily just on having that workhorse back, who's going to pick up yards for you on a steady basis, that allows them to be themselves. It's allowed them to be this great red zone offense because Tannehill can move around and and Henry's obviously such a threat there. It's not as good as it has been, but it's more solid than I thought they would be. So I, I, I give them credit for that. But unfortunately, the, the Colts get the L here for their new pass first strategy kind of crashing back to earth. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like the Titans have gotten a lot of mileage out of just being a serious football team in that division of like where there's like a lot of non-serious football being played. Everyone is constantly in their flop era. <laughs> yes, yes. And they like they're just like steady. They just like move along steadily and eventually the other teams fall back to earth. Like Jacksonville loses another game today where they probably should have won. Jacksonville still has the best point differential in the division, and it's like not close. Yeah, but they let Daniel Jones run for a hundred yards. Right. So like now you're thinking, okay, this team is not making the playoffs. The Jaguars, you do that to Daniel Jones, you allow that to happen. I forget, like it hasn't happened since 1947 that a Giants run. Daniel Jones is a really good runner. I'm like falling into stereotypes, being like, "LOL, the derpy quarterback ran." He's a good runner. We've talked about this at length. He is, but if you this is uh, this is a stat that I'm I'm making up right now. If you allow Daniel Jones to run for 100 yards, you don't make the playoffs 100 percent of don't. the time. You just can't. It's not allowed. I'm sorry. It's not allowed. The Titans would never allow that to happen. That's what I mean when I say they're like they're a serious football team, and they just take advantage of these three other teams just bumbling and stumbling around. And it's going to happen yeah. again well, this and, year. And Look, their formula, so th this is from Next Gen Stats. Henry had 126 yards on 29 rushes when the Colts had seven or more defenders in the box. That's 4.3 yards per carry. That's like exactly who Derrick Henry is for them right now, right? Like he's not breaking off 25-yard, 32-yard explosive touchdown runs where he's stiff-arming people and it's a crazy highlight reel. Like that is not happening. But he's gaining positive yardage consistently, which allows this offense to function how it wants to function. And then Bud Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons combined for 12 pressures a sack and a turnover forced by pressure. So that's sort of exactly who the Titans want to be, right? Like they want to be disruptive defensively. They want to get takeaways. They want to be able to move the ball consistently on the ground. I don't think it is a formula that is going to allow you to keep up with, say, the Bills or the Chiefs. But it's it's solid enough to pull away when things are not going right for the other teams in the division. They're the one team that it, it feels like if a game is coming down to the wire, the one AFC South team, where you feel like they're going to win the game. Where the other three teams, you feel like they're going to find a way to lose a game. Which right. is not what you expected with Matt Ryan. That's kind of why they traded in Carson Wentz and then replaced him with Matt Ryan is to have an adult in the room. An adult. that I think that's like the terminology they used. But Matt Ryan is throwing <laughs> bad interceptions. He's throwing Carson Wentz interceptions. That's what it looked like today. Jeez. <laughs> That's a tough break. Uh, all right. Let's turn things around. Let's get another W going here. What you got, Steven? I have the Bengals offense. The Bengals scored 1,000 points today against the Atlanta Falcons. That's an <laughs> NFL record. No, they, they only scored 35, but it felt like if they wanted to score 100, they could have. I think Joe Burrow had 350 yards passing at the half. Uh, Tyler Boyd had a hundred yards in the first quarter alone. It was like, now I don't think AJ Terrell playing the whole game would have made any difference, but when he went out with the injury early, it was they, the Falcons might as well have gone home. The defense should not have been on the field. There was no secondaries try even trying to stop the Bengals from passing the ball. It felt like, but I, I got to give Zach Taylor some credit. We don't give him a lot of yeah. credit on this podcast, but I feel like they they have found themselves. Joe Burrow said it last week, and it appears that they have. They've just ditched all of the under center Sean McVay type stuff that you thought you were getting with Zach Taylor, and they've just gone full spread. We're just running RPOs yeah. on early downs. We're doing the same passes, same concepts we ran last year out of like empty and out of the gun, and it's working again. 
Jamar Chase is breaking tackles. Joe Burrow hit on a couple deep balls today. I know one of them, the Falcons guy, the Falcon safety fell down, but he still hit on it. He hit another uh, deep ball down the sideline. Uh, he hit another back shoulder fade that Chase took for a touchdown. It feels like the Bengals again from last year when they got hot at the end of the year. I want to see what happens when defenses adjust because we haven't seen the offense operate like this where it's just pure gun. And I think there will be an adjustment the more they put it on tape. And I wonder if Zach Taylor is going to have an answer to that. But until then, I think this offense is going to work really well. And for the next couple of games, maybe for the next month, they're going to score a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, Burrow had 335 yards on passes of 10 plus air yards. That is the Bengals that we knew last season when everything was going right. Right. Except the fact that Boyd had the game that he had with 155 yards them having a slot receiver who's producing is a big deal because we think so much, okay, the Bengals, everything is is outside, 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 Jamar Chase, win at the catch point, do that over and over again. If it works, going to score a lot of points. If it doesn't work, absolutely nothing is going to work. Them having a good presence at slot receiver and, and picking up yards that way I do think matters because it just it just stresses other areas of the field. Um, normally if they do keep committing to this identity on offense, you know, you, you worry a little bit about the red zone. I think for them, even if they face some defensive adjustments, they do still have those ball winners. So I, I, I think they can find ways to get around it. It'll be interesting because like you said, we don't always give Zach Taylor the most credit, but he's making adjustments it's really all you can ask. And now we get to see what happens when defenses sort of try to find a counter that's for what, this and what they do. That's what I will say about him as a coach. Like that's a strength. He has shown, even when they, the Bengals were bad, like pre burrow he's shown a willingness to change things and change the offense on the fly if it's needed. Yeah. But even still, like even in this game, there were just little moments where you don't trust them fully. Like at the end of the first half, there's like 15 seconds left. They have the ball around midfield. They're punting. They could punt it out of bounds. And like the Falcons are definitely kneeling the ball if you punt it out of bounds. They're not, they didn't, I think Marcus Mariota threw 13 passes when they were losing by like 20 points the whole game. Right. They're not, not the type of game script Marcus Mariota wants to No, be. that's not a go situation. But they punt it to uh, the punt returner and the Falcons guy returns it and they get in the field goal range. They give up three points that you could have easily avoided just by punting it out of bounds. And then there's a fourth and short. They go into empty. And I tweeted out at the time, like, empty, fourth and short, empty just seems bad because you no longer have a run threat. And that just makes things easier for the defense. Like, this, the advantage in that situation is that the defense has to account for the run. When you go into empty, they don't have to do that. And they could, like, play more pass-heavy coverages. And then, like, Bill Barnwell had looked up the numbers. And actually, when you go into empty on fourth and short, your success rate drops by, like, 10 percentage points. And right. these are these are like the little things that make the difference in playoff games and that might lose you a Super Bowl. And that's why I still don't trust him as a coach, even though I do think he's done some good things right. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting because clearly they're going to test this philosophy out and they are now on tape with it working in, in some respects. So I don't know what their schedule is coming up. Who do they have next? They have Cleveland, they have Carolina, and then they have a bye, and then Pittsburgh and Tennessee. I feel like that's, like I said, for the next month, I think they can get on a roll. Then after that, yeah. the schedule gets harder. They get Kansas City, 
They get Cleveland again. They'll have a different quarterback by then. They go to Tampa. They go to New England. They play Buffalo. They play Baltimore. So like this stretch, yeah. they have to capitalize on it. Yeah. It'll be interesting. All right. Another winner for me. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Ever heard of them? And this win really belongs only to the Cowboys defense. I, I shoehorned this into our rundown because we sort of had to talk about Dak coming yeah. back. Dak didn't have a touchdown until the fourth quarter. This is actually an L for, for cable television. This is my new take here is this is an L for like sports studio shows. Um, Dak was not that exciting. Got really lucky because the defense, which man, this might be the best defense in, in the league. They had five takeaways in the second half. The offense was able to turn those into 21 points. They are so disruptive that it kind of almost didn't matter. I'm going to choose to say what the quarterback did instead of who the quarterback was so as not to stoke controversy. Um, and the Cowboys just keep winning with their defense. You know, I I, I do not to feed into the, the Dak Cooper Rush discourse. I've always been of the opinion that that was not a conversation and would never be a conversation based on how Cooper Rush played. I will say this. If Dak is not good and he wasn't that good today, that is the thing that can open up that conversation. I'm not saying we're having it. We're absolutely not. I'm just saying that it is always hinged much more on what Dak looks like than what Cooper Rush looked like, which was fine in a context where nothing was being asked of him. Yeah, We've now I've, seen Dak and it looked pretty much the same. That is more meaningful to me than anything that we saw with Cooper Rush. But for now, so far, so good. They stayed winning. Yeah, it was like a, a performance that didn't move the needle in any direction. It wasn't a good game. It wasn't a bad game. It was just like a guy coming back from injury. He missed a couple throws high early on. That could have just been nerves. And I think... More so than the Dak versus Cooper Rush debate, I think it's more of a Cooper Rush, the Cooper Rush offense versus the Dak offense. Sure. And I was kind of worried that when they went back to Dak, Kellen Moore would be like, oh, I have like a, a starting quarterback who could do the dropback stuff, who could do the hard stuff. And they would, they would abandon the good stuff that worked when Cooper Rush was in there. I only watched the game like casually. I wasn't watching it in depth, but it looked like that's what happened. Like they were leaning on Dak to be that drop back passer again. And yeah, and he I, wasn't ready. I, just to find do. a middle ground. And I think this team could really take off because, like you said, I do think this is like the best defense in the NFL right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, their ceiling is, is a lot higher than I thought it would be. All right. Another loser. Yeah. My, my last loser is actually a winner. The Jets win 16 to nine in Denver. Zach Wilson, though, I feel like there's so much to be happy about with the Jets. Like, yeah. Even with Brees Hall's injury, which is just such a shame, he was such a fun player to watch, and he made that offense go. And watching Mike LaFleur get the most out of him was really fun. But he goes down with the ACL injury, or Robert Sala thinks it's an ACL injury, which would probably end his season. And then the Jets still win the game. They go 5-2. and two. It's the first time they've been 5-2 and two since 2010, which was the last time they made the playoffs. But yep. Zach Wilson... It's hard to feel good about anything about this team because he is the centerpiece. If he isn't good, it doesn't really matter what Joe Douglas does building up the rest of the roster. I know they're winning in spite of him, but I don't know how long that's going to last. They've been winning against backup quarterbacks, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them. The defense has been very good. 
Sauce Gardner is already a top 10 cornerback. He, Three he more came pass up, breakups today. And two of them, like with the game on the line. Uh, Quentin Williams might be the most disruptive player, not named Aaron Donald. Elijah Vera Tucker has moved around wherever he's needed to be on that offensive line and has been good doing it. Garrett Wilson looks like a player. I know that the Elijah Moore stuff is kind of bad looking, but <laughs> I think there are a lot. There, bad yeah, looking? I don't know how else to say it, but apparently a the personal. The opposite of good? Yeah, not good. Uh, but a lot of, there's a lot of good pieces, but then Zach Wilson, like, he looks like Sam Darnold again, like smaller Sam Darnold. He can't make a play in structure. He can't make a play out of structure right now. He's, I, I don't know, like, what are you hanging your hat on other than the fact that he was the number two overall pick? Yeah. Ugh. I mean, hanging your hat on, not a lot. I, I guess there's, it's worthwhile to keep getting him reps, right? Like, yeah, right. We all have the memory of Josh Allen and now the size differential between those players is really, really significant and, and makes it a completely different situation. But I do think that there have been lessons learned about guys needing time to develop, particularly the sort of boomer bust, super high ceiling, low floor guys. And Wilson falls into that category. I'm with you. It's, it's not encouraging. And particularly look like Joe Douglas deserves like this roster is, is, fairly healthy and and even Brees Hall goes down you have a guy like Michael Carter who's fine right, yeah yeah going to be able to step in in there and take those snaps but he doesn't have anywhere near the home run speed of Hall so the offense is not going to be able to run through him in the yeah. same way so I guess what that adds up to is we're just gonna see like we're gonna see how good or bad it is when Wilson has to take a, a little bit more on his plate because I, I don't think, you know, I've been so impressed with this coaching staff and how they've designed right, that offense. Yeah. But I, at this point it's, that's what they got to do. It it worked with Brees Hall because he gave you those explosive plays in the run game. It replaced the explosive plays you usually rely on the pass game to get, but they had this right. guy that was like breaking off 30, 40 yard touchdown runs. So it didn't really matter. That's why they were winning without Zach Wilson, really throwing the ball and pushing the ball downfield. It it's tough. It's tough because he is a talented player. Like you see the flashes of arm talent. You see him still get out of sacks that he should take. But the way he plays, he puts himself like in danger. He took a lot of hits in this game. He's spinning out of pressure and like kind of spinning into hits. He has had injury problems, like even going back to BYU before his breakout year, he had injury problems. So there's like a lot of things working against him. And I mean, you obviously have to hang with hang with them. I just don't know if he if they're going to be able to keep this up without that that explosive element in Brees Hall anymore, because the passing game it just doesn't work. So, I, I will say, in Zach Wilson's defense, he has gone from being in twenty one. He was one of the worst play action quarterbacks in the league. And he's probably a league average play action passer right now. And you have to do that to be viable yeah. in the offense that he's in. So it's not as though there aren't sort of like fundamental, boring, but necessary quarterbacking things that he has improved at doing. He's just still only, you know, he's completing 50 something percent of his passes and doesn't always seem like he knows what's going on out there. So it's, yeah. it, it's 
it's not all adding up into something that's encouraging, but we should give him credit for the fact that it's not as though there has been no improvement. No, yeah, there are like little things that you see, but he spends like a concerning amount of time with his back to the defense looking in the opposite direction because he's trying to get away from pressure, like more so than any other. Like, it, can Next Gen Stats look that up? How much time in Please. seconds has, has Zach Hello, Wilson Next Gen spent Stats, we know you're listening. Looking in the wrong dis- direction, but he has a 36% success rate on passes thrown beyond the line of scrimmage. Only Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield have been worse. He scored three touchdowns during this four game win streak. It's tough. It's rough right now. It's rough. It's not what you want. Uh, all right. And in the, in the, continuing the tradition of losers who are maybe winners, I guess I should be giving a loser right now, but I'm actually going to give the Dolphins a winner. I like it. Mostly because, look, Tua did not look great. Probably had four or five would-be interceptions dropped by the Steelers' defense, but they won the game. They won 16-10. to 10. They got back in the win column, mostly because Kenny Pickett, uh, I think he saw Noah Ibnogany, but just decided to throw a pass to him anyway, maybe because he'd seen someone one day thread a pass by a defender uh, to the back corner of the end zone. I thought he was Josh Allen. (laughs) It didn't work very well. Um, Probably the real take here is the loser is Kenny Pickett for having his small hands discourse reignited by this game. But I do want to credit the Dolphins for just getting back in the win column because they're in a situation where every team in the AFC East is going to be chasing the Bills. I'm sure there are Dolphins fans who will say, oh, they beat the Bills, but let's be serious. Um, But the Jets obviously got really bad news today for their offense. And the Dolphins have been been through some rough circumstances over the last few weeks. So I think the fact that like now they get to breathe a little bit, you know, Mike McDaniel, I give a lot of credit for what he's done with this team and this offense, it, it does seem like things once things started going south and there was the controversy with the concussions and the handling of that, he said some weird stuff. I I really he seems like a great guy and is really interesting and the offense is cool. There have just been bad vibes around that team, I feel like, for the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I think just writing the ship in that way and getting a win matters. I mean, just getting through a game with the same quarterback that you started the game with. Yeah. It's the first like, time since week three. That's that where the done bar that. is. And I, I do think that this is a W for the Dolphins because it appears that Mike McDaniel is good. Like, I think that's what we've established is. Yeah. And I say that because Tua had a bad game. It looked like yeah. a bad game. But then you look at his, his uh, stat line after the game. He averaged 7.5 yards per attempt. Pretty good. One touchdown, zero interceptions, 92 passer rating. I, I mean, those are fine numbers. So it's kind of like Mike McDaniel has brought the Jimmy G effect over to Miami. He's like successfully established that where he can get a quarterback who even when he looks bad when you're watching the game, that he's still getting production out of it. The, the offense is still moving the ball. Now they had some drive stall in the red zone, but I, I think the offense looked a lot better with Tua. And the one thing you could say about Tua even if you think he's not a great quarterback, even if you're high on Tua, you're part of Tua not, 
he is really good for this offense and how it operates. Like that skill yep. set of of like the being a great R- together. like a RPO. He's a great RPO quarterback, and they're and McDaniel has found a way to build the offense around that. They've started to do the under center stuff a little better. It wasn't working at all over the first month. Now it's starting to get a little traction. I think this was a good game for the Dolphins, even if Tua looked bad. I think it was important for them to win a game where Tua looked like this, just to prove even if Tua doesn't continue like those first three weeks where you look like an MVP candidate, if he doesn't carry that right. through the full season, they could still make the playoffs. I, I actually, that's a really good point. It's sort of proof of concept for this all works together, even if they're not wildly exceeding precedent for how the same players performed or, or what our expectations would be. So, okay. I'm, I'm revising that from, we went from an L to a W question mark to a full W. Um, we are going to end since we are approaching the trade deadline with our non headline segment of the week being trade focused. Steven and I are each going to just, just throw out a potential trade. And if you will allow me to start first, um, I actually just, I found this fascinating because, um, or I, so I just wanted to share it. Uh, I saw Jordan Roderick who covers the Rams for the athletic posting on Twitter about the Rams potentially being interested in calling the Broncos about Bradley Chubb. Um, and she cited that there's a good relationship between the front offices there. Denver might want to recoup some picks because of the Russell Wilson situation. They've got this promising young defense. That all makes a lot of sense. She also said that, um, She's been hearing for a long time that the Rams will be aggressive in exploring options for their pass rush at the deadline. The fact that the Rams are still in like <laughs> buy, buy, buy mode, that is what I wanted to talk about here. This, all of the logic is so perfectly sound. She's an incredible reporter. So I really, really trust that that is the thinking within yeah. that building. Let's just establish that the Los Angeles Rams inside their building right now are like, who can we add so that this team has more high profile players on it? Wild. Wild. Still doing it. Just, just a commendable commitment to the bit. Incredibly dedicated to their philosophy. We did uh, all in week before uh, the season started. We did the all index and I think we're going to have a mid season update in the Rams. Thank you for playing the part and giving us more to write about if they do pull this trade off or pull off any type of trade before the, the deadline, because <laughs> this team just looks fundamentally broken. It, it kind of feels like the Jalen Ramsey trade where they made that trade and it was like, okay, like Jalen Ramsey's a good player and like two first round picks, very high price, but like it makes sense. But then you looked at the standings of the Rams were like six and eight and their offense was totally broken and they didn't make the playoffs, but it ended up working out for them like two years down the road. Right, it and worked maybe, out in the long run. Yeah. So maybe that's like the goal here is just like, this isn't for now it's yeah. for 2024 and we're going to win the Super Bowl again. Okay. All right. Maybe I'm sold. I love it. I love a consistent personality. Yeah. You could set your clock to the Rams making naive trades <laughs> mid season. <laughs> okay. Should I give you mine. Please. Mine's more of a bit. In that it's never going to happen. <laughs> but at the same time, when you think about it, the more you think about it, the more you, you'll think, maybe these teams should do it. I think the 49ers should trade Jimmy Garoppolo to the Jets <laughs> for Zach Wilson in a second round pick. 
The Jets get a quarterback that can run this style more. of offense, like an adult quarterback who can run this style of offense. I think it makes the the Mike LaFleur offense viable again. Obviously, Mike LaFleur was in San Francisco. He has experience with Jimmy G. Jimmy G knows the offense. He doesn't have to learn anything. He can just step right in. He's been running it for five years. The 49ers get a day two pick back. They obviously need draft capital after the, the Christian McCaffrey yep. trade. They get that back. They get another young quarterback who was, I mean, obviously he struggled, but he has talent. And I think if he were, if you put him in an actual Kyle Shanahan offense with weapons, real weapons, I think it's not going to be good, but it might work like it worked for Jimmy G. And then you have insurance for if Trey Lance gets hurt again. Now you have another young quarterback that you could potentially groom into a better player, like a, like a viable starter, long-term starter. If Trey Lance can't stay healthy or maybe the accuracy problems prevent him from ever really starting long-term. I don't know. It's like another young quarterback. And then you get rid of Jimmy G, get rid of the cap hit. It's a win for everyone. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm in. I'm sold. I'm sold. You're on the island? I'm there. This, okay, this nice. I'm I'm on this mini island. I guess, you know, next week we'll find out if Kyle Shanahan's there too or John Lynch is there too. They, they make the playoffs with Jimmy G. I'm saying that. Do they make the playoffs with Zach Wilson? No. Come on now. I think that's the problem. Yeah. The 49ers I definitely don't make the playoffs with, with Zach Wilson. But like if you're the 49ers, <laughs> do you want to make the playoffs? Yes. I Their entire do. vibe right now is we will do anything possible to make the playoffs. <laughs> that is true. But like, we know how this ends. We know how it ends. <laughs> do we need to see Jimmy G like throw, throw a back foot like, interception? Like the, the NFC championship game, maybe? Yeah, but it still ends horribly. That like, e that hurts even more. <laughs> I can't wait. So nihilistic. All right. We're ending the podcast b before Steven says that they should just cancel <laughs> all of the regular season in the playoffs and he will hand select two teams. They can play a Super Bowl against each other and then that'll be it. Um, yeah. It would actually be a lot less work for us. All right. This has been the Ringer NFL Sunday recap show. Uh, thank you to Steven and to Ben earlier for joining us as always. Next up on the feed, Sheil and Ben will have extra point taken their deep dive of week seven. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision. 